0: all right let's go ahead and pray over the word i know we still got some people gathering in but i want to dive into this tonight i believe god gave me this word when i was seeking him oh you know a little while back for a week i just spent some time seeking the lord So Father, I just thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for your presence. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving in this place, but where would we be without the word of God? And Lord, I thank you for your word that's an anchor in our lives, Lord, your word that brings life, that brings truth, Lord, that establishes us. And Lord, I thank you tonight, even now as I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit to move upon every one of us, that we give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus. We're locked into what the Holy Spirit is saying through the word. And Lord, I thank you for your word going out as living seeds that are sown into good soil tonight. That yeah. the Holy Spirit is preparing soil and watering those seeds that I thank you for the word taking root in us and growing and producing a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit, fruit that remains in our lives. And yes. that we remember this word, Lord, we retain this. Yeah. Yeah. I thank you, Lord, for it being established and that, the wind of your spirit is going to carry this out. It'll go through the internet, wherever, through podcasts, etc. It's going to get all over the world. Everywhere it's supposed to land, it's going to land there because the Bible says the word will not return void but accomplish everything you sent it forth to do. And so, Lord, and we know Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed, so we corporately agree anything that would try to hinder this word in any way is bound right now in Jesus' name. We break your power, you will back off. And I thank you, Lord, for this being established in our lives. In Jesus' name, we thank you for speaking through me now. Amen. Amen. All right. If y'all would, everybody say an open door. door. All right. That's what God spoke to me when I was seeking him. And I'm going to do my best to share with, with you what God showed me. But in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8, the Apostle Paul was talking about a time in his life that God really came down and moved in power. And you can read about that encounter in Acts chapter 19. But he was writing to the Corinthians about that time in his life, and this is what he said. He said, I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service is opened to me. The King James says an effectual door. Some kind of a door opened... And he said, and don't forget this, and there are many adversaries. Don't forget that. Now, I started studying this out, and Paul had three missionary journeys. On his second journey, he did go through Ephesus, but it didn't seem like very much of anything happened, at least not anything really notable. He probably saw some people saved, and they maybe established something. But the, his third missionary journey was his second time he went through Ephesus, and this is recorded in Acts 19. And even when he walked into that area, the very first encounter he had was with those disciples. You remember, he asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, we haven't even heard if there is a Holy Spirit. So right off the bat, they, they went from just following John the, uh, the baptizer's teaching to accepting the Lord and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And and Paul had walked right into something. And the Bible says for two years, Paul remained there in Ephesus, and all of that Asia Minor heard the gospel. It was a major revival. This was the revival where handkerchiefs and aprons that he had prayed over and sent out People were getting healed and delivered from things. I mean, it was a major move of God. So many people were getting saved out of the occult. They brought all their stuff for this huge bonfire, and it was worth a lot of money. You guys remember reading about this. So this was Paul's third missionary journey, his second time through Ephesus. Now, sometimes we think to ourselves, you know, I've been doing this. I've been laboring. I've been praying. I've been believing. Paul, when he went through Ephesus the first time, nothing seemed to happen. But that second time he went through, something opened that was not there before. It's just like, for example, when Peter and them, now think about it from Peter's perspective. He's a professional fisherman. And they had been fishing all night, and they didn't catch anything. And so Jesus shows up and says, well, just cast your net on the other side of the boat. Now think about it. If you're a professional fisherman, how ridiculous that would sound to you. But yet when they obeyed the Lord, something happened that brought in a supernatural harvest that was not available before, okay? So what I wanna talk to you tonight is, is about an open door when the Lord shows up. Now, I'm gonna take you on a journey. The first thing I wanna say is this. We have to first open a door for the Lord to come in among us. And I think there's a principle: if we draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh to us. So first, we want the Lord to move in power in our city or whatever. But the first thing we need to do is Revelation 3:20. Jesus said, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me." But I wonder how many places Jesus has stood at the door and knocked. And yet nothing is opened unto him because they don't hear his voice. They don't even realize that the Lord is even knocking. How many places, and I'm not saying this critically, I'm just saying this as an honest observation, but how many places already know going into it, What they're going to do at 1020, then at 1025, then at 1045, then at 1130, and the benediction at 1159. They know exactly what they're going to do, and the Lord is standing at the door knocking. They don't even know he's knocking. They just have their religious ritual they're going to do. Something I found interesting as I studied the life of Jesus years ago, it seemed to me from my observation, the way I see it, That Jesus, when he traveled, there was one place for sure that he loved to stop and spend time there. And that was with Lazarus' family. Wouldn't you love to have been a house that when Jesus was walking the earth, he went to all these different places and ministered. He was on the seashore. You know, he went to the synagogues. He went to all these different places. Wherever it was, he went to minister. But when he was anywhere close, he wanted to come to your house and spend time there. Yes. And I found it interesting that they, that Lazarus and Mary and Martha opened the door for Jesus and the disciples to come. And you know as well as I do, it wasn't just Jesus coming. It was all of his disciples too. And that they, they made the sacrifice every time, joyfully I'm sure, to have them come and they'd wash their feet and they would prepare a meal for them and do everything they could to accommodate them, to get sleeping arrangements for all of them. and to. And it, they made us a little bit of a sacrifice to have him there, but they loved having the Lord there. There was no sacrifice that, that was too great for him just to be there. Isn't it interesting that because they made room for Jesus to come there, That up until that point in time, Jesus' ministry had seen the blind eyes open, the deaf ears open, there had been demons cast out of people, which really stuck out because that wasn't something other prophets and uh, ministers had done before him. And so they were really shocked about that one. Even the demons obey this guy, you know. But Jesus had seen all that, but when it was time now, for Jesus to see something his ministry has never seen up to that point, something that was really going to bring great glory to him, he made sure that it was going to happen, or at least the father made sure it was going to happen in Lazarus' house. And Let me explain it. They sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. And Jesus said, okay. And the father, remember Jesus said, I only do what the father is doing. I only say what he's speaking. And the father made him wait. The reason why is because God had set that place, that family up for a miracle that would be heard throughout all of Israel. And Jesus' ministry would now go from just blind eyes and deaf ears to the dead being raised. And so Jesus, the father, made him wait until Lazarus was dead. And when Jesus came and the King James, you know, they they came to him weeping. And he really was close to this family. So, I mean, when it says that Jesus wept, people read over that. Jesus really wept. I mean, it really hurt him because he was close to this family. And he just lost probably somebody he loved very much, at least to death temporarily. But as they were weeping, the King James says this, and in the Greek it's true. It says Jesus groaned. And I think about that because I've heard these intercessors, when the Holy Spirit's really moving on them, Romans chapter 8, sometimes we don't know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit will pray through us, praying in the Spirit, but it says, even at times with groans, too deep for words. It's just a groan, and isn't it interesting that that groan took place with Jesus and then The Bible says that the dead was raised, and the dead being raised speaks of revival. I believe when God really starts moving on these intercessors and there's a lot of groaning, it's a sign that revival is at at, at hand. So Lazarus' family opened the door. Everybody saying, open door. door. They opened the door for Jesus' ministry to stay with them. Jesus seemed like to me he wanted to be there. And because the Lord rested there, it opened the door for one of the greatest miracles of his ministry to happen there on that property in that family. To this day, whenever we talk about Mary, and Martha, and Lazarus, we always think immediately Lazarus raised from the dead. And I think of another example of this. This is a famous story I think was made famous in the 90s because it was preached on, but Uh, In 2 Kings 4.15, there was the uh, Shunammite woman, remember this? And she had made room for Elisha's ministry. And she had perceived that he was a real man of God. And she had asked her husband, is it okay that we build a little addition to our home and give him basically like a little apartment he can stay in? And so every time Elisha and Gehazi came through the area, they would stop off at this lady's place, her and her husband, because she had made room for them. And they would stay there, and I'm sure that she would cook for them and take good care of them. And I mean, you know as well as I do, that meant so much to Elisha. And Elisha's laying there in bed one night and says, you know, this woman has made room for us. And if I could say has made room for the presence, the manifest presence of God in her home. She's opened a door for us. She's brought the supernatural into her life and into her family and into her home. And so he told Gehazi, go call for this Shunammite woman. And it says that she came up to this little addition that she had had made for him, and she stood at the doorway, an open door. Everybody's saying open door. And he had asked her, what do you want? And may I, should I speak to the king on your behalf or whatever? But she said she wanted a son because she had not had any children. And so Elisha said to her, at this season next year, you're going to embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to me now. Because this meant a lot to her. And he said, and he meant what he said. And by that time next year, the woman had conceived and given birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. So this woman had made room for the Lord to come into her home. And what God was doing in the days of Elisha, what God was doing in Israel, he was doing through Elisha's ministry. And she made room for that. And I'm going to say something here in passing. I just want to mention it. But we all talk about the move of God. But we need to embrace the fact that the move of God might be different than what it was You see what I'm saying? We're used to certain things in the 90s, certain things that happened. But you and I both know that when America was praying for revival and, and whenever God first started moving, he started moving through Rodney Howard Brown's ministry, and that came in a way, and I believe this was the Lord's intention, it came in a way that the religious rejected it. And it was only those that could hear the knock at the door, that could discern the move of God, and they opened the door. The churches that opened the door and invited that move of God in experienced a major move, didn't they? And of course, it built, it exploded, and increased in Toronto, and then it built again at Brownsville. But people had to discern it was a move of God, and to them, I was shocked because I'd grown up around Pentecost, and it took me a long time to wrap my mind around all the Pentecostals that had rejected the 90s revival. I still to this day have a hard time accepting that because I'm thinking to myself, this is the same Holy Spirit that we've always known. He's just moving in greater power. But yet I was shocked at how many people rejected it. They didn't want anything to do with it. They wanted their religion that they'd always known. But the Bible says in Psalm 24, 7, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Lift up your head, see, and open the door that the King of glory can come in. This is something that we, we're going to have to do. We're going to have to discern the Lord's moving. We're going to have to discern that it is, in fact, Him, even though it might look different in some ways than what we're used to. We have to discern it's him. We have to hear the knock. And we have to first open the door for him to come in among us. And once he comes in among us, we have welcomed in the supernatural into our midst. We have welcomed in the one, the Lord of the harvest, who will say to us. Now, cast the net on the other side. Come on. We've welcomed in the one that brings healing and deliverance. It's like Hunter was talking about tonight, being delivered. I mean, that was just the Lord. I mean, I don't even think any of us were praying for him. God just saved him and set him free. Come on. So opening the door for the Lord to come in. Now, I want to mention something as I transition this. We're, we're opening the door for him. We've drawn nigh to him. And now the Lord wants to open a door for us. A door like Paul saw in Acts chapter 19. Where we've been fishing all night, not catching anything, and then the Lord shows up. It's a door that only God can do. And let me lead into that. So in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there's seven churches that Jesus wrote these little epistles to these churches. They're kind of like little report cards. Here's what you're doing good. Here's what you're doing bad. You need to improve this. You know, And if you do, I'll, I'll give you this. So he writes his little report cards. Now you got to understand that there's a bunch of churches. He picked seven, some of them we had never even heard of. The reason why he did it this way and in this order is because it is a message of like a timeline from the early church until the last day church that we're living in today. And I'm going to show you that in passing. I can't dwell on it. But you remember, how was the church in Ephesus born? In the fires of revival. I want you to always remember that from this day forward. Anytime you read the book of Ephesus. I want you first to think in your mind. Now wait a second. Paul wasn't just writing to this any church. He wrote to a church that was born in the fires of Holy Ghost revival. And so when Jesus started these, these seven letters. He started it to the church in Ephesus. You know what that spoke of? That spoke of the early church that was planted by the apostles. It was the early church that, that the shadow would heal the sick. The, you know, people had cripples that would be brought to church and they would jump out of the cot. It was the early church that knew the power of God. Okay? That was the message to the church in Ephesus. And then it transitioned from that to Smyrna. Smyrna means crushed myrrh. It was the suffering church this was from nero who martyred paul through diocletian there was several years there that we know about where christians were thrown to lions and dipped in oil and set on fire it's a horrible time of persecution so this was the age of persecution then at the end of that age around 300 AD constantine came to power and this led to the church called pergamum which means marriage and unfortunately constantine married rome with Christendom, it created the Roman Catholic thing, and it perverted Christianity, sadly. But it was a marriage between church and state. How many knows that's always a mistake? And so that led into the Dark Ages, which is Thy- Thyatira. And this is why Thyatira spoke of Jezebel, because during the Dark Ages, there was this strong Jezebelish thing in Roman Catholicism, It was, uh, Thyatira means continued sacrifice. It was just dead religion where there was no true gospel being preached, no book of Acts Christianity. It went into gross darkness. And it reminds me of what the Lord said to the Ephesian church. He said, if you're not careful, I'm going to remove your lampstand. And it seemed like by the time it got to Thyatira in the dark ages, the lampstand was gone. There was no light of the gospel then that led into sardis sardis speaks of the reformation church this was when god moved on the heart of martin luther 1517 to lead a reformation he brought back the gospel that the reformation church still had a lot of problems a lot of roman catholicism's influence was still there but it led into the church of philadelphia and i believe this is where our heart is philadelphia was the the restored revival church that began in the 1700s with Wesley. And God began to move in the mid-1700s with, with uh, the ministry of, of Wesley, and then Cane Ridge and then Finney, and then D.L. Moody, on into Azusa Street. And God began this process of great revivals that began to restore back to us what we needed. I think about just one quick example because I can't dwell on it, but Azusa Street restored back the baptism in the Holy Ghost, you see. So God was in a process in the Church of Philadelphia timeframe of great revival and restoration, which I'm going to read this letter to this church in just a moment. But then that leads us into the very last day Church of Laodicea. That's where we're living today. A group of people in America that by and large out there you would agree with this, seemed to me to be saying we're, in, we're rich and in need of nothing. But the Lord would say, now wait a second. As from my perspective, you're wretched and poor, naked and blind. I counsel you to come by gold refined in the fire. Let me anoint your eyes so you can see the way I see you. But the Laodicean church that's lukewarm, that makes the Lord want to vomit them out. It makes him nauseous. So here's how I want to take this. I believe that the Philadelphia church is still going, but it's like a train track. Either we're going to be the Philadelphia church or we're going to be the Laodicean church. Both of them are there. Right now, we're living in a time where we can be one or the other. And doesn't that sound like Matthew 25 That all ten of them were virgins, but five were wise, and they got that extra oil. I think that they heard the Lord's voice. I think they heard him knocking at the door. I think they opened the door for him, and I think because of that, there was an intimacy with the Lord and extra oil that came into their lives. And they were ready. But the Laodicean church doesn't hear the knock. Now listen to the letter to the Philadelphia church. Some have called them the missionary church, the church that began to see revival and restoration. Jesus said to this church, he said, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, he who is holy, now see right there that we recognize the holiness of God. See, I'm going to tell you, there's a group of people now that are losing the fear of the Lord out there. But Philadelphia never lost that at healthy fear of God. They recognize his holiness. He said, who is true and who has the key of David. Who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one will open says this. I know your deeds because I put before you an open door. Everybody saying open, open door. That nobody can shut because you have little power and have followed my word and have not denied my name. God opened the door for them. And it goes on to say there was a promise to Philadelphia that they would escape what was going to come on the earth. That's the rapture. See, we're living in a time of the Philadelphia church that that we can be wise virgins with extra oil, a bribe without spot or blemish. And when it's time to meet the Lord, we're going to be ready to meet him. While other people are playing their dead religion, they're not hearing the Lord knock at the door. They're not getting their extra oil. They're being defiled by the world. How many knows they're just not going to be ready? And I thought about something when I was reading this as well. Jeremiah the prophet, and I need to not dwell on this. I'm going to say it quickly. But there was a scribe that followed him around named Baruch. And Baruch was the one, probably when you read Jeremiah Lamentations, Jeremiah spoke it, but Baruch probably wrote it down. And Baruch saw God allow because of the sins of Israel. How many knows there's a lot of sin in the camp out there? Because of the sins of Israel, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to be kind of the final judgment to come in and destroy uh, Jerusalem and tear down the temple and burn it with fire, all of that. And Baruch was thinking to himself, you know, here I am, the scribe of Jeremiah, and he wanted to be spared from a lot of this. And Jeremiah got a prophetic word for him. You can look it up. It's not in front of me. But the Lord told Jeremiah to tell Baruch, said, I know you he said you think that you're going to escape all of this unscathed and be unaffected by all of this basically he was saying you and I both are going to suffer just like everybody else because all of Israel is being judged and all of us are going to go through some hardships here but he said everywhere you go God will be with you and he will spare your life and you will be delivered out of death and so God did bless Baruch but here's the thing some of us have been just like this right here He said, because you have little power and have followed my word and not denied my name. You know what that's saying? You've been through a lot. You've been through a lot. And I think about since the 90s revivals till now, those of us that have held on to a message of holiness, a message of revival. We've been about souls. We've been about the things of God. We've been about the presence of God. Many of us have gone through some really difficult times. but God is about to show up and when the Lord shows up everything changes oh, I was thinking about this old man that was out at the docks and there was a, a huge boat he was showing this young man around and the boat was sunk down into the, the muck and mire and the young man was just looking at it like man you know how would this boat do anything or go anywhere and, and the, the old man told him well push on it He's pushing I wasn't going to budge and then later on the old man brought him back when the tide came in and that boat lifted right up because of the tide. And that old man told him, push on it now. And he pushed on that huge boat and it would move. Something that was immovable before. See, once the tide really rolls in, things that you thought would never happen will happen. So let me shift just for a moment, then we'll bring it all together at the end. But God has an open door when I was seeking him a little while back that's what the Lord spoke to me that there's an open door I'd had somebody I really respect in my life for many many years that has always been very accurate when he gives me a word and he told me years ago he said there'll come a time when there's going to be a door open for you and I believe that that's about to come but I want to show you some things revival and restoration a lot of times when we talk about revival, we think of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, souls, and all of that. And that's very true. But have you ever considered that revival and restoration go together? Now, that's very important. Because I'm going to take you on a journey in just a very short amount of time of something God taught me over a very long period of time. But the Lord began to put a few scriptures together for me. Second Chronicles 7.14 that we all know. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We all want the healing of the land, but we have to go back and do what he said to do. We have to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. And then God began to show me some things I would never seen as he put all this together. That scripture with Isaiah 58. David Wilkerson said Isaiah 58 is, if you want to know how to live in perpetual revival, he said it's in Isaiah 58. And that's the scripture about fasting and prayer. And Isaiah 58 talks about, is this not the fast I've chosen for you? And and he tells them you need to quit with the pointing of the finger, which is accusing and gossip and slander and being malicious and all that. And you need to quit being oppressive to people. So in other words, bosses that were being mean and oppressive to their workers and being abusive to people but then Isaiah said this he said if you will humble yourself and you will give to the poor and you will turn away from those wicked things that you've been doing and you'll really humble yourself in prayer and fasting God will hear you okay and he gave some awesome promises in Isaiah 58 I'm going to say in a moment and then God took me to Joel chapter 1 and 2 And I was reading Joel, this is a really awesome scripture that Peter quoted at Pentecost, but what happened was the nation of Israel got into sin. And because they got into sin, God allowed the militaries of the nations around them, like the Midianites and others, to come in and raid and plunder Israel. They would steal all their crops, and what they didn't steal, they'd burn their fields. They would go in and steal all their good animals and what they didn't they would kill i mean they were there joel described them as locusts because they came in and devoured everything and joel told the people in joel chapter 2 he said look call a solemn assembly if you'll gather everybody together and humble yourself and pray and fast before god And really repent of your sin. He said, God will hear you. And listen to what he said. He said, God will drive away the locusts, the northern army. He will drive the enemy out of your midst. And then he said, and God will restore back to you the grain, the new wine, and the oil, the former and latter rains. He will pour out his spirit upon you, and he will restore the years the locusts have eaten. So there's a process of revival, the outpouring, and restoration. And so I started seeing that with Isaiah 58. Because it said in Isaiah 58, if you'll fast and pray correctly, where you're humbling yourself in prayer and fasting, and you're repenting of all your wickedness, and you'll, you'll be a giver and regard the poor, Isaiah 58 says, you will call upon me, and I will answer you. There's a promise of answer prayer. And he said, you will cry out to me, And I'll say, here I am, God's nearness. How many want God answering your prayers and want his nearness? Then he said this. He said, I will make you like a well-watered garden whose springs don't fail, and I will strengthen your frame. You know what that is? Revival. He said, in other words, if I could say it using another scripture or two, I'll make you like a tree planted by the waters that is perpetually watered, and so it's going to perpetually be green and fruitful. That's continual revival. Then Isaiah says this. Not only that, but your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing quickly appear. Your righteousness go before you in the glory of your rear guard. you know what that is? The Lord arising with healing in his wings in your midst. And so there's promises here if I could put it all together. If we will get dead serious about it, humbling ourselves, that's the first thing. And if we will really get serious about our prayer and we will get serious about fasting together. And we will be a people that are, that are givers, okay? We will give, especially regard the poor. And we'll really, truly repent of all of our sin. I mean, consecrating our lives unto God. The Bible promises us, if I could say it this way, putting them all together, I will hear you. I will drive away the forces of hell that's been against you. I will rend the heavens, I will pour out my spirit, and I will restore the years the locusts have eaten in your life, and I will answer your prayers and send you a revival and a harvest. But then it doesn't just stop there. In Isaiah 58, I was reading where he went on to say this. Not only is there a promise in our lives of restoration, but he said, and you will be among those that rebuild the ancient ruins That raised up the age-old foundations, repairing the breach, streets to dwelling. You know what that is? That's God saying, I'm not only going to send revival and restoration to you and your family. I'm going to use you, that the the things that the devil's been destroying spiritually in your city and in your nation, you're going to be among those that rebuild ancient ruins. That's what it says. And you can see that. And God put on my heart to go back and study this. This is an interesting thing on your own if you want to do it. But whenever God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in, Nebuchadnezzar came in because of Israel's sin. He came in like locust. He destroyed everything, took them all captive. But God told them, he said, in 70 years, I'll bring you back. What is the bringing back restoration? Now, just follow me for a moment. The first group that came back around 50,000 came with Zerubbabel, who was a descendant of David. And Joshua, descendant of Aaron, they went back, they rebuilt the temple. You know what that was? Restoration. God began through them to restore the ancient ruins. A process of restoration began. And Satan got enraged when he heard about it. You've read Ezra, Nehemiah, and all that. You know. I mean, the enemy began to rise up and try everything he could to stop. Do you remember the first scripture I read? Paul said, there's an effectual door that's opened unto me in what? Many adversaries. When God began the process of restoration to the nation of Israel, and he began to bring them back and rebuild the temple, he knew they were going to face major resistance, major opposition. So he sent with Zerubbabel, and then he gave them two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to constantly encourage them. They needed it. But you know what happened as they were rebuilding that temple? The story of Esther happened during that time. Think about what I'm saying. Put it together. The devil was so enraged at this restoration and this revival that he, he uh, caused the story of Esther, raised up a Haman to annihilate all the Jews. I mean, that was a major attack of the devil. And then after that story of Esther, then you read the story about Ezra, who was a priest coming back later and brought many with him. And he began the process of teaching them how to live right and do right and set things in order, set up the did all that he did. And then another wave came with Nehemiah. And Nehemiah did what? Rebuilt the walls. But I think about in the process of this restoration as the walls were being rebuilt, I think about the story, I was reading Nehemiah and it says that while the breaches were being closed up in the walls with Nehemiah, Sanballat and Tobiah heard about the breaches being restored and got enraged and we're talking about how can we attack them and stop this. Isn't it interesting that prayer and fasting, hear me tonight, Daniel knew it was time, and Daniel set his face toward God in what? Prayer and fasting for 21 days. And God moved on the heart of Cyrus to send back that first group with Zerubbabel. They started rebuilding the temple. And then I think about what happened with Esther. What did she do? She called for what? Prayer and fasting. What happened? God turned an impossible situation around. Then after that, Ezra was sent back to continue the work. And then if you read the story, Nehemiah was weeping and and fasting and prayer, and God sent him back to do a final work of rebuilding the wall. But the whole time that they were praying and fasting and seeing revival and restoration taking place, they faced opposition the entire time. Not only did they face it before Nehemiah, but Nehemiah had to have the people that were rebuilding the wall use one hand to rebuild the wall and the other one on a sword ready to go to war at any time. That's how strong the resistance of the enemy was. But at the end of the day, guess what? The wall was still rebuilt. The devil can try everything he can. The devil tried to lie on them. He tried to intimidate them. He tried to send people to attack them. He tried to write letters back to important prominent figures to discredit them. The devil did everything he could to stop this, but yet God still caused that temple to be rebuilt, caused the glory of it to be greater than the former glory. That's the presence of God greater and still that those breaches in the wall were still rebuilt. So in other words, prayer and fasting caused the ancient ruins to be rebuilt and the breaches to be closed up. And I think about in the days to come, we're nowhere near where we need to be in revival right now for the Lord to come. But God, that's why God's going to send revival. He sends a major move when we're at an all-time desperate place. But I want you to understand when God sends revival, he's not just sending an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a harvest of souls. He's going to heal the sick and deliver people. He's going to do all of that. But listen to what I'm saying. God wants also to restore the ancient ruins. Let me show you what I mean. I've been really concerned with this. When I was growing up, Seeing powerful intercessors was a normal thing. Brother Ralph, was there intercessors in the church you grew up in? Amen. Do you see them nowadays very much? No, you don't. Everywhere I go, people say the same thing. People who grew up in Pentecost, when I was growing up in Pentecost, I said this to Brother John Davis. I said, I remember there being intercessors in Brother John. Oh, yes. And I said, well, are you seeing them nowadays? Not so much. Here's the concern I have. You have a generation of people that were primarily baby boomers, okay, that they had a a large group throughout Pentecostal, spirit-filled churches all across this nation that have powerful intercessors. Let me explain what I mean because a lot of people hearing this do not even know what I'm trying to say. They don't know. Intercessors are people that have a special grace and a gift from God to get in deep prayer praying in the spirit, even down into groans too deep for words. It's a deep calling unto deep, and it causes major answers to prayer. And these people knew how to touch God, and I'm telling you, for, for the last couple decades, I've been seeing this, where people have been, these intercessors have been primarily elderly. When I was growing up, have been dying off, and they're not being replaced. In this coming revival, I'm believing God that he's going to breathe on us again and he's going to raise up intercessors out of the ashes. He's going to restore ancient ruins of intercessors. And he's going to get us back to prayer. I've been saddened. I say it with respect and love, and I'm not going to dwell on it, but I've been saddened how many people are getting away from prayer, including churches and people I would have never thought would have, but they're getting away from prayer. This is not a time to get out of prayer. It's not a time for your church to get out of prayer. This is a time we need to be praying like never before. Amen. And I think about uh, during this time of, of, of here we are in the last days. All that's going on in light of the scriptures I just read to you. Would this not be of all times with the coming of the Lord so near us seeing end time prophecy unfolding? Would this not be a time that we need to be humbling ourselves in prayer and fasting and deep repentance and being givers and getting real scriptural about it and believing God to pour out his spirit and restore? I think about this because a lot of the seeker sensitive thing where people don't want to offend anybody and tiptoe around everything and water it down and dumb it down. Um, you know, I could say a lot here, but I'm trying to be really nice about all this, but this, it, there's churches out there that have Christians in spiritual kindergarten. I, I, I remember, I'm trying to be really polite here, but I remember I saw a preacher, the, a big, and he's throwing down a box of toys, you know, that you got to assemble, and that's his sermon, was putting it together, oh, God to put it together, and I, I was just sitting there thinking to myself, this is children's church you're pre i'm thinking to myself, you're preaching to grown people a children's church message and just recently i tell my wife about this it was on the a major tv network but a book coming out by a well-known minister and the content of the book keep in mind our nation is seeing all this stuff rise of satan worship Witchcraft is one of the fastest-growing religions. This whole homosexual transgender thing. We know the end times are upon us. This is serious times. And this minister of a big, well-known church, large following, is writing a book on saying please and thank you. It's happening, guys, and it'll be a bestseller. And I thought to myself, dear God, you have them in preschool. I mean, this is something that, okay, we're all supposed to be polite. But, you know, maybe there's some deeper truths here. That So anyway, I'm thinking to myself during all this secret sensitive stuff and all this watered down, I believe that God is going to move again. And listen, he's going to come upon us once again for altar calls where the fear of God is going to fall. People are going to be convicted of their sin, and they're going to be answering altar calls to get the sin out of their life. They're going to be repenting. There's going to be a holiness. There's going to be a fear of God come back. I believe there's going to be a great restoration in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, tongues, and the gifts. You know, they think about, well, we want to not offend anybody. Well, I beg your pardon, but doesn't the Bible say that tongues are assigned to the unbeliever? Let's think about that for a moment. So my point is is that, they th- see, man is trying to take over like they always do and think that they can do it better than Jesus Christ, could think that they got it figured out better than God himself. We can run it like a business. We can entertain. We can do this. We can give people what they want, tell them what they want to hear. And let me tell you something. You may be building something big, but one of these days, it's just going to be a pile of ashes in heaven because it's not bearing eternal fruit. In fact, I'm concerned. That if a bomb was to go off in a lot of those places, many of those people go straight to hell. They're not any more saved than the lost people out there. They're just there because of the programs. God's going to restore back healing and deliverance ministries. God's going to restore back the preaching of the true word of God and a love for the meat of the word of God. And that was something, let me say this too, Perry Stone I heard him talking about this. He said back in the 90s, he said there was me. I was talking about Perry. Perry said there was me and about 30 other prophecy preachers on television back then. He said almost every one of them is dead now except me, and I think he said one other. And he said I don't see any of them being replaced. He said there's a generation coming up that does not know prophecy, and because of that, they're going to be vulnerable to some of the tactics of the devil. He said, "You'd be surprised how many of them will take the mark of the beast because they don't even know what it is." Yeah. But God's the God who restores ancient ruins. I'm telling you, He's gonna He's gonna open a door. Everybody saying, "Open door!" When the Lord shows up, the breaker, the one that goes before us and opens up a way. When He shows up with the key of David and He opens a door, there's not going to be a man. There's not going to be a president. There's not going to be a ruler. There's not going to be a religious leader. There's not going to be a demonic force, a fallen angel, or even Satan himself that's going to be able to shut that door. Think about the opposition that Zerubbabel all the way through Nehemiah faced the entire time, yet it still was rebuilt. They were made fun of. They were ridiculed. They were mocked, but yet the wall still got built. All the while they're they're laughing at them and making fun of them. What are these little Jews gonna do? Rebuild this wall. If a little fox ran across it it'd all fall down, they were mocking them the whole time. And they just kept working. Pretty soon they had a dedication, a big celebration, because the wall's finished. So our responsibility, I'll close with this and we're gonna pray, is holy living. Our responsibility. Number one is to seek the Lord in those five areas. Of, that's five is grace, humility, prayer, fasting, giving, and consecrating our lives unto God. If we will make that a lifestyle, we will come together and really organize that. I believe God will hear us and pour out his spirit and restore. But our responsibility is not only to do that, but that we take inventory of our lives. Yes. <laughs> Ephesians 5-6 through six, we all talk about Ephesians 6. Paul said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but what princes and powers, wickedness in the heavenlies, he gives us the armor. But think about this. Why did Paul write to the Ephesians? Because this was a church born in the fires of revival that he was there for two years with them because God fell so hard. Paul on his third missionary journey said, I'm not going to the next place. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stay here until God's done. That whole region heard the gospel. They were born in the fires of revival. They saw major healings and miracles. It was an amazing move of God. So Paul had to write them a letter and tell them, let me warn you. He said, you're a revival church. You're not just wrestling flesh and blood. Y'all putting this together now? You're a revival church. You're not going to be wrestling just flesh and blood you're going to be dealing with principalities and powers. So let me tell you about the armor you better put on every day. And then he says, but before that, please hear this. Before he got Ephesians 6, he had to deal with Ephesians 5. He said, you better make sure that you're living right and your home's in order. Because if husbands are not being the man you're supposed to be and leading your family, and wives aren't being submissive under their husbands, and children are not honoring and obeying parents, and your home's all dysfunctional. If I could paraphrase it, Paul says, "You're a revival church, that principality is going to knock the mess out of you. Come on. You better make sure your home's in order. You better make sure your life is right, and then put on that armor and stand, because God will move mightily on your behalf. Yes. And so our responsibility, Jeremiah 6:16. 6, I think about this, I'm gonna close with this little bit right here, but I think about the voices of people days gone by, like a Leonard Ravenhill, for example. I think about people that's gone before us that really knew God, that knew the power of God, that knew the presence of God, they knew how to pray. They walked with God, they knew the scripture, when they preached there was an anointing. When they prayed for people, there was a power that took place when they prayed. They had something with God. And I think about how they've been dying off and they're not being replaced. But listen, they knew this path. Jeremiah 6.16, thus says the Lord to Jeremiah, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Where the good old way is, then walk in that path and you'll find rest for your souls. But Israel at that time said, we will not walk in it. That's why Nebuchadnezzar destroyed him. If I could say it this way, there's an ancient path that the Bible calls like a highway of holiness, the path of the righteous. It's the path that people going all the way back to Abraham knew all through the scriptures you read. The people that we know from our generation and previous generations, like a Steve Hill, for example, they knew this path. They walked this path and they knew God. Intercessors that knew how to really pray and actually see things happen. Churches that had blazing Holy Ghost revival meetings like what we're talking about here tonight with testimonies like that. They walked that path. They knew God. There's an ancient path. And for me personally, I want to be on the cutting edge of what God's doing, whatever that is and whatever it looks like, But I'm not caught up with every little fad that's out there. I know that there's an ancient path to stay on of righteousness. Let me give you an example of what I mean. There's a parable, because they were dealing with alcohol in the church. There's a parable I'm going to give you. There was this people that lived by a river. And generations back, several generations back, they had built this big wall. But, I mean, now when you looked at the wall, it was very ugly. It was an eyesore. It had all this mold on it. It had vines growing over it. It, Some parts of it kind of looked a little dilapidated. And the younger generation comes in and says, why did our ancestors even build this ugly thing? And they tore it down. Then a major storm hits. The water comes flooding in. They weren't ready for it. And it flooded in and wiped out all their homes, all their crops, and they realized they they lost a lot, people died in the flood, and they realized the wisdom of our ancestors that walked this ancient path, that put up some boundaries and said, don't go there. I felt that when I said that. Whoa. They said, don't go there. And. In regards to things like the alcohol and different stuff, John Davis told me, he said, my generation knew there were certain things just to avoid, and we just avoided them. He said, now it seems like anything goes. Yes, our heritage in spirit-filled groups of, of days gone by, our heritage had built up some godly boundaries, some, some stones, if you will, and said, don't go there avoid these things stay on this path if people start tearing down those walls and start letting stuff in mark my word i know that some of you may think it's it sounds insane but there are some out there that call themselves a church i don't know that god would but you watch as drugs start coming into it substance abuse sexual immorality and blatant witchcraft mark my word and they are opening doors to demon spirits so powerful in those churches they're deceived they've torn down boundary stones they're no longer on an ancient path and the Lord is removing their lampstand they're going to go into gross darkness eventually follow the antichrist and perish so let me just say to you and then we're going to pray let's guard our eye gates amen everybody listen to me Let's guard our eyes, that our eyes are not going to be looking at anything pornographic or dark, evil things. Let's guard ourselves from lust and perversions. The Bible says to flee lust, okay? Let's guard our ears from filth. And I'm not just talking about the worldly entertainment like Hunter was talking about. That's important. But what about the filth of gossip and slander? Let's guard our hearts from evil. No idols in our hearts, no hatred toward people, no bitter roots, that our hearts are going to stay pure. The warning there that the love of many would grow cold, let's be careful. Is that's a warning to me and you. I mean, in a month from now, if I'm, not, if I'm not careful and I don't guard my heart, my love could grow cold. And we have to guard our homes from sin and evil. Guard your home. Be careful. Be selective. We learned about these things in Brownsville. All of you are familiar with this, but let's guard our lives with holiness. God is still a holy God. Be selective. Yes. Use godly wisdom and keep things out that need to be kept out. Yes. Because once you start doing that, you tear down some walls and let a little bit of compromise here. Then it'll be the next thing here. And then it'll be, well, what about this? And next thing you know, a year later, you're thinking, how did they even get there spiritually? Because they just kept going down this backsliding business till they got to a place where you can't even recognize them anymore. Come on. It started with a little compromise here and there. Let's keep ourselves holy and pure. So, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we're doing our part to humble ourselves and pray and fast and seek you, Lord, and turn from our wicked ways, that you would hear from heaven. And open a door that no man can shut. A door that opens for great revival, for an outpouring, but the harvest to come in. A harvest that God himself is going to bring in. Lord, open a door for us. We've opened the door for you to come in among us, but we're asking you to open a door for us. Where you say, cast a net on the other side, now it's time. The appointed time to favor Zion, there's a time. Open that door, Lord, and let us go through it. Let us be faithful and be able to work with what you're doing and sacrificially lay down our lives. Let it come, Lord, in Jesus' name. And let me say this as we're about to pray in just a moment. I think about what we've been doing together. This is something only God could have done because I've been doing these conferences. And what God laid on my heart was I needed to open a door for anointed speakers to come in and really go after God for revival. <coughs> and as I was doing that, God opened, opened things up with John Davis and then you guys to come and just kind of brought this together. But I don't say this lightly because I've thought about this a lot for a couple years now. <coughs> I'm sorry I'm losing my voice a little bit. But I think about the Red River revival. James McGready started bringing a couple churches together. And they would pray and they would fast and they would really go after God. And it's, they started seeing little trickles of rain. I mean, people are getting saved. I mean, 10 people. It wasn't a lot. And, and, but as it went on and on and on, next thing you know, the Holy Spirit's falling, and everybody in this group of people falls out under the power at Red River. And they're having encounters with God. I mean, major. And Barton Stone hears about it all the way in Cane Ridge and goes to Red River and the Holy Spirit touches him, he goes back and it breaks out to the Great Cambridge Revival, which is our second great awakening. I'm just saying that don't despise the days of small beginnings. Because as we're coming together, these were little churches back then, 10, 15 people, coming together and really seeking God, and it ended up exploding into something that affected the entire United States of America and became known as the second great awakening just keep going after god just keep as we come together and just keep going after god i i don't know what god's going to do but i suspect he's got something bigger than what we realize Amen. oh lord do it yes. all right let's go to a screen i want us we're going to move some chairs and put on some worship but how many want prayer tonight i'm gonna get brother ralph and and tiffany and some others get my wife to help me we're just gonna kind of go together and pray for people